Matthew Bergeron is going to bring the physicality that's going to set the tone for the Falcons' offensive line. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew. My friends call me Negative Nancy, but you can call me Mr. Drew, of course. Also known as Serious Black because I'm the host of this very serious Locked on Falcons podcast and Black because reasons. And, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, all part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, BetterHelp is connected, is going to connect you with a licensed therapist who can take you on the journey of self-discovery wherever you are. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off your first month. And guys, I want to thank everyone that makes Locked on Falcons their first listen each and every day. Always give a shout out to my everydayers, whether you're listening to us at the gym, on your way to work, you're picking up the kids, or you just snuck away, um, you know, from the kids to get your daily dose of Locked on Falcons. However you listen, whenever you listen, we appreciate you here on the Locked on Falcons podcast. So follow in their footsteps so that you can be appreciated by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today's episode of the podcast is all about Matthew Bergeron. Later in the episode, we'll be talking with Owen Valentine, the host of Locked on Syracuse, to talk about Bergeron's journey from Quebec to the NFL through Syracuse University. And up front, though, we'll be joined by Brandon Thorne, the offensive line guru. He's going to talk about Bergeron's strengths, his weaknesses, his ability to transition to the guard for the Falcons. We'll also pick Brandon's thought brain on Jovan Gwynn a little bit later in the episode. But it all starts off with Matthew Bergeron and why Brandon believes that he can be the tone setter to bring, bring the type of physicality that we know the Falcons are looking for up front, right? I read something earlier today about someone quoting Arthur Blank, or I'm sorry, Arthur Smith as wanting to run the blankety blank out of the football. So Matthew Bergeron fits that type and we'll get Brandon's thoughts on exactly how and why he fits that type right now on today's Locked on Falcons. All right, everyone, we are back with another illustrious guest. He is Brandon Thorne, the guru, the go-to expert when anybody needs to talk offensive line across the internet. He's one of the coordinators for offensive line masterminds. You can find his musings on offensive line play as well as pass rush on his sub stack, trench warfare, and of course his draft reports on Bleacher Report. And we'll be talking about two of the players that he scouted this offseason that were drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in Syracuse offensive lineman Matthew Bergeron and South Carolina offensive lineman Joe Von Gwynn. Brandon, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me. So first, I just want to pick your brain on sort of your overall thoughts on Matthew Bergeron as a prospect before we get into the specifics of how he may fit specifically here in Atlanta. Okay, got you. Yeah, I mean, Bergeron, you know, I, first of all, you know, when I watched him initially, I, I really liked him. Uh, and then when I saw some matchups against Miles Murphy and Jared Verse, uh, Clemson and Florida State, 
I thought he struggled with those in pass protection, you know, and it kind of led me to think uh, some of his issues would be mitigated a little bit inside and his strengths accentuated. So I projected him as a guard who could play tackle. I compared him to Aaron Banks, uh, former Notre Dame offensive lineman who's with the 49ers now. Uh, So that's kind of like how I, you know, started on him and viewed him. But I mean, I think when you look at him, you know, his strengths are really his play strength, which I would categorize as like very good. And that's such a such a great foundational trait to have as an offensive lineman. When you play strong, you can hold the point of attack. You can move the line of scrimmage. You can sustain and finish blocks in the run game. He's really skilled uh, that way. He's physical and aggressive. Um you know, I think he he's powerful. He, he definitely brings kind of a, a tone setting demeanor uh, as well. Um, and I think his his athletic ability is you know average, but uh, that's that's fine inside. Especially, I think it, it shouldn't be be a you know an issue there uh, much at all. But he's really built well too. Just looks like an NFL guard. You know, when you when you watch him on tape and when you see him up close, like I did at the combine and stuff like that, like. Uh, yeah, he just he just looks the part as well. So I just think this was a good pick, you know, solid pick. I think he's going to be good right away, you know, and I, I think it really, in a way, kind of completes the offensive line. So it's 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 a, it's a really nice pick, I think. Yeah, that's been one of the things we've been talking about here on Locked on Falcons is the potential that if they hit on this pick, it will provide maybe the final piece for that five-man front up for the Atlanta Falcons and mm-hmm. talking about, you know, that final piece and that transition for Bergeron from tackle to guard where he is expected to compete right away and, and play at that left guard position. And I'm just curious to pick your brain on sort of the the process of players making that transition. And, and what are some of the things that you like about Bergeron's game that make you think he'll be a, a good guard, and especially in, in the Falcons blocking scheme where they, make heavy usage of the outside zone run scheme. Yeah. I mean, you know, just watching his tape as a run blocker at tackle uh, this past year, you know, I think it goes back to some of those things that I touched on, you know, very good play strength, uh, aggressive mentality. He really takes the fight to defenders on, on like drive blocks. Uh, he, he creates seals and alleys, you know, off of his backside. A lot of runs were hitting right off of him. Um, you know, like stiff, powerful strikes, strong hands. Um, he latches and knocks opponents on their heels. He can really like uproot guys, create instant displacement, um, you know, steer them away from the ball. Uh, he, he really embraces the physicality of run blocking. Um, he strains and he fights to stay attached to blocks. He finishes through the whistle. Um, you know, so just, I think in the run game, that translates to kind of any scheme, uh, you know, at Syracuse, they, they ran a zone based scheme, um, you know, 55, 45, uh, run pass split, uh, which is probably going to be kind of similar to what you're going to see in Atlanta, uh, run, run first offense. Um, you know, so it's kind of a natural fit for him, a natural transition, I guess, you know, scheme wise as well. He, he was asked to do a lot of what, you know, he's going to be asked to do in Atlanta, which I'm sure they liked uh, watching him. There's not a whole lot of projection there aside from just the, you know, position in, you know, kicking inside. Uh, So those are some of the things I liked, you know, in pass protection, a lot of those traits translated as well. Powerful punch, 
stuns pass rushers, engulfs them quickly. Um, you know, he's very good when uncovered in pass protection, you know, delivering body blows on guys, getting guys on the ground. Um, he can anchor very quickly. Uh, so these are all things that you look for, I think, when you may project a tackle to guard, um, you know, because they become a little bit more important even inside against bigger body types and things like that. So, you know, again, just, yeah, just, you know, kind of the size, the demeanor, the strength, the power, and then some of the skills he has uh, to create lanes in the run game. I just think, you know, it's it's going to be a seamless transition probably, you know, for him. Now, I always defer to your expertise when it comes to offensive line play. But one of the things I've been asked over the years when it comes to trying to evaluate offensive linemen, because that's something that, you know, your typical average fan doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of insight into. They only tend to notice offensive linemen when bad things happen, like they give right. up a sack or they, they whiff on a block. But for me, one of the ways I've described it, and this is probably, it's probably a lot more nuanced than this, but I think when you're evaluating a tackle, you often focus on the feet because, you know, that ability to stay in front of speed and whatnot is going to be really critical at the next level in the NFL with some of the pass rushers. And when the guards, that is less of an issue and maybe you focus tendency on the hands. And it does feel like most of the questions that I had watching Bergeron were questions about his feet, but I did had very little questions about his hands. So it leads me to believe that he's one of those players that I think people often assume this with a lot of players that, oh, well, if you just take a tackle and you move him to guard, it'll mask all his issues. But I, I do feel like that um, label kind of fits Bergeron a little bit. Do you agree on that? Yeah, that, that latter part, especially, you know, um, I, I do agree, you know, because I, I think, uh, you know, just reading from my report, you know, some of his weaknesses, you know, I think he has kind of mediocre foot quickness and range on an island. You can have mediocre below average foot quickness, but have a little bit better than that range, which I think involves footwork. You know, I think that's an important distinction to make as well, footwork and foot quickness. Some guys could have really quick feet, but they're not really going anywhere or they don't really know how to kind of adjust their depth, uh, you know, at the proper time and things like that. So they could be really quick, but their footwork can be unrefined, you know, and uh, you know, there's always, it's always so fascinating. One of my favorite parts about offensive line is trying to find that distinction and guys, um, you know, I think Mitchell Schwartz, you know, former chiefs, right tackle Browns, right tackle, like not the quickest feet, but man, his footwork was, was so efficient, you know, and it allowed him to be an all pro tackle, uh, and there's other examples as well, you know, for guard tackle as well. And it's just, yeah. So, but with Ver with Bergeron specifically, I thought the footwork and the foot quickness were a little, they weren't tackle material, you know, not at least not like everyday starting tackle material that, you know, he could do it in a pinch, I think. Um, but ideally you just kick him inside, um, you know, and it will kind of eliminate some of those concerns uh, you know, and some of those bad habits that I thought he had that were exposed against quality competition, uh, which, you know, is every day in the NFL uh, mm -hmm. compared to college. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of that stuff gets kind of mitigated inside. Um, he also had a bad habit of drifting in his past set, oversetting rushers, um, you know, struggle with stutters, you know, really like refined rushers who knew how to kind of tempo their rushes and set them up which he's going to experience inside as well. So that's something that he's still going to need to improve on. 
um, you know, not over, not getting too far out and, you know, being vulnerable, losing across his face, which, you know, NFL three techniques, as you know, you got one there in Atlanta and Grady Jarrett and just almost every team has a really good one. Uh, that's going to be an adjustment for him. But, you know, I think long-term he'll be able to do it and be able to succeed and be, you know, like a quality starter there. So still more to come here with Brandon Thorne uh, discussing uh, the evaluation process in general when it comes to offensive linemen, why certain guys hit early in their careers, what Brandon thought on Jovan Gwynn, the Falcon seventh round pick on the offensive line out of South Carolina. We'll also talk a little bit about Chris Lindstrom and get Brandon's thoughts on the rest of the Falcons offensive line and what they can do this upcoming season as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you've heard me talk about how therapy has benefited me over the last year many times on this podcast, and I think it has benefited the podcast, right? Therapy has helped me understand I can only control the things that I can control, and I can't control if the Falcons draft good players. I can't control if the Falcons win a football game, but I can control how good this podcast is, and I've gotten so much feedback from you guys because I'm so humble that this is podcast has been uh, so much improved over the last year. And I think a lot of that is thanks to this perspective offered from BetterHelp because therapy can give you the tools that can help you find more balance in your life so that you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I highly recommend it. It's entirely done online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule all you have to do to get matched with a licensed therapist is fill out a quick and brief questionnaire and you'll get matched with the licensed therapist very shortly. You can make your preferences known, right? And you can switch therapists, you know, at any time for no additional charge. So find more balance with BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com slash locked on today and you'll get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash locked on. For um, when you when we've seen some of these players in recent years, uh, you know, kind of hit the ground running in the NFL right away as rookies like Creed Humphrey or Rashawn Slater. Last year, you had Tyler Smith or you go back a couple of years with guys like Penny Sewell or, or Tristan Wirfs. You know, what do you feel like is, you know, the most common variable variable for why certain guys tend to hit the ground running in the NFL uh, and be capable starters while a, a large percentage of offensive linemen struggle with that transition. Yeah. I mean, it's probably kind of similar to a lot of other positions where, you know, you, you look at physical traits, you know, do they have at least a baseline of those or, you know, higher and then also skill set and technique. Is it refined? Is it consistent? You know, is it duplicatable? Are they, you know, are they able to do that on film? And when you marry those two things, you know, chances are you have a really good player. And then, kind of the missing piece that we don't really get to dive into too much in the media is just kind of how their, you know, their mental makeup, you know, their personality, their learning style, matching that with your coaches, uh, what kind of teammate they are, what kind of worker they are, how important it is to them, all these things that you, you know, it's difficult to answer from our position, but when all, when all those boxes are checked and you have the physical traits and you're, you're also like, you know, kind of a technician, which I think almost all those guys fit kind of that criteria then you have a good player and you could probably say that, you know, across all positions, but um, you know, I think that's the case with all those guys and uh, credit to those teams for, 
you know, identifying that and, and matching it well with, you know, their system, their coaches and just, yeah, their personnel, you know, it's just, um, it, it's fascinating to see how teams get there. And I think that missing element, you know, the mental makeup piece is really fascinating, but it's just tough to, to make a lot of headway on that, you know, in the media. Uh, so that's just kind of one of those unknowns that throws a wrench in all evaluations for us in the media, especially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it always feels great when you know right away that you hit on an offensive lineman, like yeah. some of those guys when, you know, for a lot of these guys, it takes, you know, the better part of three yep. or four years before you see these guys. And then when, when you hit on a guy right away, it's just like, Oh, okay. Like that, you know, takes a, a lot of pressure off of, you know, so many things sure. Um, sure. moving forward. But, uh, you know, the Falcons did take a second offensive lineman in this draft in round seven, mm-hmm. and Jovan Gwynn out of South Carolina. I'm just curious what your thoughts on him. I know you did not rate him nearly as high as you did uh, Matthew Bergeron, but what were some of your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I gave him, if I recall correctly, I think an undrafted grade, like a priority free agent grade. Um, I watched three games of him, you know, Clemson, Florida, Kentucky. Uh, you know, I wanted to see best competition because at this point, you know, when I was watching him, I was on kind of later round guys. And when I get to that point, I love to just watch, you know, three, four games against best competition. Cause then, you know, really quickly, you know, like how high you should probably be on them. And, you know, I think when you watch him, um, you know, he has good natural leverage. He's kind of a like compact stout built guy, um, which helps him, you know, uh, I think he can hold the point of attack pretty well, gets under and inside of guys, you know, fairly well. Um, you know, definitely plays hard, you know, competitive toughness, I think is, is very good with him. Good finisher. Uh, and, you know, when I was researching him as well, uh, by all accounts, you know, just like the consummate teammate, you know, leader, uh, you know, very experienced and durable, if I recall, uh, as well. So just like a dependable guy, um, which are the guys that you love to at least bring in, you know, uh, I just think he's limited physically in terms of athletic ability, movement, uh, ability to sustain blocks, especially at the next level. You know, I think the Gervon Dexter reps uh, were, were pretty, pretty uh, glaring, you know, in that regard, just the inability to kind of deal with him, you know, when it was one-on-one. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's stuff to like there. And he's one of those guys you wouldn't be shocked if he, sticks around for a while, you know, and becomes maybe a quality backup, something like that. But uh, I think the odds are probably against him, you know, but there's, those are the kind of guys you want to bet on, you know, at that point, you know, so I think he kind of fits that mold. Okay. Well, Brandon, I really appreciate you joining me uh, talking a little bit offensive line. Uh, Don't, often get to talk too much about that here on Lockdown Falcons. But, uh, you know, my, my last question is when you bust out your top 75 this summer uh, on trench warfare, you know, is, is Chris Lindstrom going to get in your tier two on, on your right guard rankings? That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I think he will. Uh, tier two is, is fair. The tier one stuff is rich for me. You know, I mean, it's gosh, you know, it just actually, it kind of depends, you know, cause I, every year with right guard, it's so, it's so fun to put that one together. Cause I have to decide, do I want to put Zach Martin in his own tier, <laughs> you know? And then yeah. if I do that, then it kind of, you know, gives, it's kind of skews the rest of it because then tier two, you know, people think tier two, okay, they're not elite, but you know, they kind of are, they're just not Zach Martin, you know, elite, you know, Zach Martin's one of those guys at his position that kind of deserves his own tier year in, year out. 
And uh, yeah, as I talk about it, I, I, I might just do that again. Cause I just think there's, there's a little bit there that just separates Zach Martin from everybody else from Wyatt Teller, you know, Brandon Scherf and Lindstrom and, you know, even Shaq Mason guys like that. Um, but that tier two, yeah, I think it's going to be really tough, you know, cause we've only seen it one year from Lindstrom, you know, at that level. And then also, I think it's a really interesting thing to consider the scheme, like how unique of a scheme he was in, how run heavy play action heavy it was, which I think does, you know, make the job of an offensive lineman a little bit easier for sure. I think that's unquestionable, you know, just because you're getting to run block a lot. And then when you pass block, you're essentially run blocking as well. Uh, So kind of, you know, lessens the burden a little bit. Um, But, you know, Lindstrom's obviously ascending uh, and, you know, I think it's not going to be long. If he's not, you know, in that tier two, he's going to be top of tier three, but uh, he's, he's a good player. And I think certainly like top, I don't know, six or seven right guard in the league right now, you know, at worst. So, you know, yeah, good, good, good guy to have and good position to be in for sure. I think this offensive line, you know, is probably going to be solid, you know, especially in this scheme, you know, again, when you run that much play action, when you do it from heavy personnel, 12, 13 personnel or 21, 22 personnel, you have fullbacks, you have tight ends out there who are involved in pass protection and you kind of muddy it up, you know, and then you're running play action on top of it, maybe RPOs as well. It just makes the job easier, you know, as an offensive lineman. And it's great. You know, it's smart. It's it's good. You know, the Giants did this as well last year. Um it'll be interesting to see kind of the adjustment this year, you know, do they open it up a little bit more? Do they go a little bit more true drop back? I don't know. That's going to be really interesting to see, but it, that's part of what I incorporate, you know, into the offensive line evaluation, like what they're asked to do and what they're not asked to do. I just, I think that's interesting and important to factor in there. Okay. Well, I just, you know, wanted to advocate to, to get Lindstrom from tier three to tier three, two. Yeah. I, I know he's not going to get tier one with, with Zach Martin. I've heard your thoughts before on that with, you know, the scheme, you know, sort of, you know, helping out uh, several of the Falcons players. But, you know, yeah. if, if when you're sitting there making these rankings and you're thinking about, you know, borderline tier two, borderline tier three, just remember, you know, at least one person out here is pushing for Lindstrom to be in tier two. No, I, I, I totally get it. I, I'll, I'll remember that for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, man, even if I don't, I mean, I think you, you know, and probably other people may know like how much of an advocate I am for one of your other guys, Grady Jarrett, like, you know, we could talk about him sometime too. That'd be fun. Okay. Well, I would look, I would definitely want to have you back on so we can talk about Grady Jarrett and it yeah. seems like the Falcons finally got him some help. So yes. I'm hoping that this year we will get to see, the peak version of Grady Jarrett even more uh, than we've seen in recent years. But Brandon, really appreciate you coming on and joining me on today's episode. Uh, Go ahead and plug whatever you want to plug uh, for the listeners. Yeah. People can go to trenchwarfare.substack.com. That's where I do pretty much most of my work, especially in the off season. That's kind of like where I, I'm going to be coming out with some projects there, you know, that I'm doing looking at different offensive line, um, you know, kind of trends and, uh, breaking down techniques and things like that. Hopefully have some NFL guys and on film rooms as well. So people can kind of get in some insight there. And then uh, if you want to see any of my scouting reports on offensive linemen over the last three drafts, Bleacher Report, you know, you could search on a search engine, Brandon Thorne, and then the offensive lineman's name. And chances are that scouting report will come up. So that's another way people can read my work. 
Absolutely. So, guys, I want to thank Brandon Thorne. Uh, and, but there's still more Matthew Bergeron content on today's Locked on Falcons as Owen Valentine, host of Locked on Syracuse, is going to join me to talk about Bergeron's interesting journey from Quebec to the NFL through four years of pro- four productive years at Syracuse. And, you know, before we get into our conversation with Owen, I do want to give another shout out to my everydayers. Uh, and if you're going to be tuning in tomorrow, as you do every single day for Locked on Falcons as your first listen, you will probably hear us talk about the Falcons other day two selection in Ohio State defensive end Zach Harrison with Locked on Buckeyes hosts. Uh, And we'll also be joined to talk more about the Atlanta Falcons with, I believe, Everett Glaze of the Falcoholic and whether or not he's buying the hype on this Falcons draft class in this upcoming Falcons season. So that's on the docket for tomorrow. So make sure you continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, everyone, you are back with another illustrious guest here on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. And we had to head up north to the Lockdown Syracuse podcast to get Owen Valentine, the host of Lockdown Syracuse. He's talking all about the orange men in terms of, Football, basketball, all the things. I'm sure I, I, I recall from my youth, Syracuse had a great lacrosse program as well. Yeah, I don't know if that's still going strong up there. But, of course, Owen's here with us to talk about the latest Atlanta Falcon in Matthew Bergeron, the offensive lineman for Syracuse. Owen, welcome to Locked on Falcons. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I mean, I'll, I'll plug them quick. Syracuse women's lacrosse, number two in the country, had been to the NCAA tournament. So the, the lacrosse hasn't faded out all too much. Okay. All right. <laughs> I remember that. All right. Anyway, so let's talk about Matthew Bergeron. And he had an interesting journey, you know, coming from Quebec, sort of basically not recruited until he decided, you know, when he was 18 to head on over to a summer camp at Syracuse run by Dino Babers from what I've read and basically went down there. No one had heard of him and was just whooping up on all the other high school kids and Syracuse and then several other programs, you know, basically decided like, we got to get this kid in school. And he obviously went uh, to Syracuse with Dino Babers had an interesting journey across those several years, you know, barely could speak English when he showed up on campus initially, uh, but steadily grew into, you know, a fixture on that Syracuse offensive line, I'm just curious to pick your brain on sort of Matthew Bergeron's journey over the last four years uh, in Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed a lot of it there. And that's sort of just what his career has been is he was a late bloomer in terms of football, in terms of getting into football. And I, I think the what I've heard is his first intro to football was the 2010 Super Bowl. And it was like he's 10, 11 years old at that point before he even is really watching any football and then he just continues to absorb and grow and get better and get better. And he's been a guy that I think is underrated and overlooked a lot of his life because of that later start and maybe where he was born, things like that. It's not as big a deal. And he just continues to answer and continues to get better and better and better. And it was a guy that, you know, you weren't expecting when he shows up to camp, that is the biggest name on your sheet when he walks out. And then a guy who you think is a, a reserve O-lineman for a little bit. And then your starting O-lineman <laughs> quits the team seven games into the season. And he turns into a four-year starter. And then a guy that people aren't sure what he's going to be. And he shows out at the Senior Bowl. And he's a guy that continues to just rise to the occasion time and time again. 
And that's the type of player you're getting in him. A guy that I don't think is done learning by any means and is a player that you should be excited to have uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, I think you can look at him as kind of a moldable piece of clay because of that background. But, you know, it's not like he's just some big blob of clay that is this completely unrefined player. He's gotten good coaching. You've seen him. You mentioned it, the senior bowl. I was down in Mobile and I had questions about him. You know, it's like, is he a guard? Is he a tackle? You know, and then he gets to the senior bowl and he's playing mostly tackle and he's doing fine. And it's like, okay, well, I think he can be a tackle. And now here in Atlanta, the expectation is he'll be a guard. And I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that potential for him to transition inside in the NFL? It's by no means the easiest transition. I mean, he's a guy that is a four-year starter at tackle in Syracuse and you, you haven't seen as much as maybe you want to in terms of him at the guard. But I think what you've seen in terms of what he's done as a tackle and what his skill set is and how I, you know, I just talked about how he continues to grow and can do so much. I think this is something that is a very, very feasible transition for him. And maybe it's not seamless day one and absolutely flawless, but he's a guy that's going to learn so quickly, a guy that's going to pick up on this. And I think he does have the skill set to make that transition as good as, you know, anybody in this draft that you're trying to find a transition for. Uh, and I think that's sort of what Atlanta says is we, you know, we can find that spot for you as the guard. If we're going to trade up for you, we, we think that you have that potential. And I think uh, what you've seen in terms of skill set from him, I, I, I read the negatives of him. Some people say it's the footwork. Some people say it's the speed. And then you read the next article about him and it's a positive for him is his speed, his agility, his footwork. I'm on the side that, that thinks he does have that ability in terms of speed, in terms of footwork, things like that, uh, to make that switch. And I think he's got a, a real good shot at being that day one starter at the guard for you on the left side. Now, I'm curious to pick your brain on this, Owen, because, you know, ever yeah. since my school left the Big East, um, you know, I haven't paid as much attention to Syracuse. Uh, I went to Pitt. Uh, now, obviously, Syracuse and, and Pitt still in the same conference and whatnot. So it's it's not as if, but it's just it's not the same as those Big East days. But no. um, I'm I'm curious to pick your brain on this. Like, is is Matthew Bergeron's journey kind of a parallel to kind of the Dino Babers era of Syracuse football? I know Syracuse has not been the sort of powerhouse it was decades ago when it came to producing NFL talent. I know one of the things you've touched upon on Locked on Syracuse over the last several weeks was that, you know, with Bergeron going in round two, he was the first time a Syracuse player has been drafted in the first two rounds since Justin Pugh back in 2012. The first time a Syracuse player has gone, you know, Pugh was a first round pick, but, uh, you know, you go back to their actual second round pick was Adam Terry, like in 05. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Syracuse goes one in 10 during the COVID year. Uh, I read some articles about like Bergeron because of the kind of being away from home and not being able to see his family and the struggles of the team on the football field, having to deal with that sort of adversity is like Matthew Bergeron's struggle from this basically zero star recruiter, whatever he was in Canada and to being a successful, you know, day two selection in the NFL draft. Do, is there parallels to that with what the program that Dino Babers and company are trying to build in Syracuse? This is a, a program right now that is, it's grinding. And it's, in my eyes, 
even with the success of last season, relatively, they made a bowl game, which is a success for Syracuse football. Uh, they're, they're not where I think they need to be or where people want them to be. And I'm not sure this is necessarily a time where they're breaking through. But I will say that the grinding that had to happen over the last few years, as you mentioned, a one in 10 season, uh, teams that really, really struggled to see a guy like Matthew Bergeron rise to the top and be able to put up successful numbers and pass protection and, and run blocking, whatever that might be, given the state of who is surrounding him and an O-line that struggled tremendously as a whole to be able to still show that you are that good of a player. Uh, despite, you know, I believe they, they might've led the power five in, in sacks allowed per game for a stint in his career. And it's not on him. And he continues to, to do his thing and continues to just, I'm going to do what I can and, and rise as much as I can, even through that struggle. And I think that struggle is going to help him because that's just the mindset he's going to get and the mindset that you're going to get in him uh, because he can rise to whatever needs to happen, which is when you're looking for someone to switch positions and, and maybe go to some place that they lack that experience or aren't as sure of uh, in terms of success, that mindset, I think, is going to go above everything in terms of him being able to make that switch. Okay. Well, I appreciate you, Owen, for joining me on today's Locked on Falcons and uh, let the people know, you know, what you got going on over at Locked on Syracuse. Wow. I mean, I, I just released an episode of why I am as angry as ever with Syracuse football. So if you're an anti-Syracuse football fan, uh, tune in because I am I am not happy outside of the fact that they've got a few draft picks in there. That was the the one saving grace for him. But I'm not happy with Syracuse football, except for a few guys. Matthew Bergeron uh, at the top of that list, for sure, in terms of the pros that are trying to offset an episode's worth of cons from today. <laughs> Okay. All right. So clearly not paralleling. Matthew Bergeron's going this way and your perception of, of Dino Babers in the program is somewhere else. Yeah. So I, I got you on that one. But guys, go check that out on Locked on Syracuse, of course, part of Locked on Podcast Network. You know, find it on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, Owen, really appreciate you joining me on today's episode. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So guys, uh, that's it for us. Thank Owen again. Found out uh, through the course of my conversation with Owen that apparently Syracuse football is going through a rough patch. And so I think apparently my last question kind of triggered him on that one. Uh, so you learn something new every day and you guys learn something new every day by making this Locked on Falcons podcast your first listen each and every day. Again, so humble here of this illustrious podcast, guys. Continue to make it your first listen each and every day on YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, tomorrow, we should be talking more about Zach Harrison with Locked on Buckeyes hosts. Uh, and of course, we'll be talking more about the Falcons and whether or not we're buying the hype with Everett Glaze of the Falcoholic. So check us out. Part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.